So, Alan, tell us, uh, you know, for those that don't know you, um, that may be watching this, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, let's just start with your your history. <laughs> let's start oh. with your background and uh, and just go from there. Okay. Anything specific about the background or just? Well, you, you, we were talking before, you, you, you do a lot of work um, with religious trauma, kind of where I wanted to take the conversation. I watched you and our mutual friend, Michelle Cohen, do a video, what, a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was just, I was so blown away um, at how you shared your wisdom about how you processed through mm. religious trauma. Mm. Um, so, like our similarities, we have similar background uh, because we come from the same theological movement from our past, yeah. right? Yeah. In yeah. church experience. Um, and then went through deconstruction. Oh, yeah. And then kind of have landed in this middle place of, okay, what now? <laughs> what yes, do we where it's at. <laughs> but also, uh, the thing I love about your journey and your story is how you have been able to find your personal empowerment, your your sort of, uh, the way I would say it is like, um, and you can, you, you know, you can edit, edit this, correct this, but uh, sort of a, a remaking and a reshaping or a reclaiming of who you are as an authentic individual. And I think that's the task uh, for people coming out of, uh, you know, if you come any kind of toxic relationship, if you come out of a narcissistic, abusive relationship with an intimate partner or parents, or uh, a, a toxic relationship with Jesus or church, the rebuilding and reclaiming of the authentic self, I think, is is something that we all share and have in common, and that is the that is the task of healing. That's at least that's my perspective. So, having said that, I'll throw it open to you and let you uh, just take it wherever you want to take it. Sure. Um, well, yes, we do come from a mutual background. So I spent you know, 30 years doing ministry in the charismatic movement, the charismatic evangelical church. Um, my upbringing up to that point, though, was a mainline denomination. I was raised in the Lutheran, um, you know, denomination. And, wow, I, I have to say this is kind of kind of funny here a bit, but I um, cheated my way all the way through confirmation. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but I did. But to be honest, to be fair, I there was something within me that was stirring in my heart even at that age, you know, with something around God and the divine and all of that. Um, but I had a very chaotic household. So my household in itself um, was not safe. I would not say that I, you know, uh, had a real good understanding because I was adopted and we adopted a, a sister mm. in as well. And she came with a lot of trauma and she came with a lot of abuse. And we didn't have any of that in my house at all until that point. Um, and then she just brought it all into the house and, you know, my parents blessed them. I love them immensely, but you know, they just prayed and they trusted God and, you know, that things would work out and all that stuff. We know how this whole line of thinking goes. And I found that there was a lot of apathy and passivity with what was actually happening with all of us in the house. So I grew up with this going to church, going to the Lutheran church. You need to trust God. My mom would do devotions in the morning with all of us before we went to school. And then we had this underlying current of like hell that was happening in the house from from violence to um, you know, different forms of abuse and, and things like that. And that. Wow. 
that completely gave me a whole mixed message. Mm-hmm. And, but within the church, my mom and my dad are, you know, well known in the town we're in. It's a small town. Um, we have so many things in common. Oh, I, I know. A small town, well known family. Yep. Anyway, go ahead. Yep. And, and so basically what that meant was we had to put on a lot of appearances. And so yeah. I got really good at the appearance game. I got good at, you know, playing church the way I needed to, but then, you know, bypassing, completely denying that all this other shit is happening in the house. But I went from, from all of that, and there's a lot to that whole side of my story. There's a whole lot to just my journey out of just abuse and violence in itself. Um, but then I went into, when I was 21, I had this, I would say, a born-again experience. And I was on a college campus and a real mess and totally, you know, chain-smoking, totally... I mean, I was just, I was wearing the trench coats. I was just, I was something else. Wow. And I had come to this place in my life where everything was a complete mess. But the only thing I knew to turn to, and it wasn't myself, it was to turn to God, because that was how I had been raised. You just turned to God, even though God, in my upbringing, hadn't saved anything. Okay, I was still going through situations. And so I did that. I turned to God, and I had an experience I, I don't know how to explain it. I turned to what I knew to be God, but I had this encounter with this light. Something came into my chest. I remember I was pushed back against the wall. I mean, there's a whole lot even to this whole story. And I felt this love for the first time. And, and it just, it just kind of like overcame me. And what I had said at that point was I said, God, if you're real, there's two things you need to do in my life. You need, and I'm bargaining, right? You know how this goes, right? I was right. like, you need to stop, you need to stop abuse and you need to set me free from drugs because I had a drug problem. Mm. Now the drug problem ended immediately like that. Now I wow. don't have an explanation for all of that. I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try right. to figure that out, but I, that happened. But the abuse and the violence and the things I was going through with men or women or different things, now I was outside of living my house, still happened for another four years. Mm. And so in that whole moment, I still had this encounter that I couldn't get rid of mm-hmm. because I knew something had happened, but the abuse was still happening, so my prayer wasn't being answered. And immediately I went into this Christian fellowship that was on campus, which was a charismatic, evangelical, Pentecostal. Um, you know, the pastor was like really old school, old school Pentecostal. Um, it was very legalistic, extremely legalistic. And he knew me and he knew my family. And he just said, get this girl into my office. We need to work with her. We need to, you know, teach her the ways of God. We need to disciple her. We need to do all of these things. And I'll give the guy some credit here because I had to kind of work through all the shit that came from that guy. He was willing to jump in. Mm. Okay, he was really willing. And I think his heart at the beginning was really good, but I don't think he really... Uh, realized the full can of worms and the extent that he was getting himself into. Um, but he was a faith man. He was one of those, Jerry Savelle, you know, all of that. Jesse Duplantis. I mean, we listened to all that. Kenneth Hagen. I was going to the Kenneth Hagen revival services. And for him, mm. everything was about faith. It was about standing in faith that you can be healed, that you can be healed of all. I do remember them. Um And there were things that happened. Okay, I'll be honest. There were. I I saw some miracles, genuine miracles happen. 
Um, there were things within my own physical body that I saw um, began to be healed. There was I had some really miraculous healings. But what I didn't realize, and I think this is this is where like the story can turn sinister in different ways, was I didn't realize the control and the manipulation around my emotional self. Mm. In the fellowships I was in, you were not allowed to have emotions. Now it wasn't right. it wasn't said that way. Right. Okay, it wasn't said like, okay, Ellen, no. you can't this you can't have this emotion. More subtle, yeah, for sure. Um, but we were very big on reading the book by Joyce Meyer. She was like my hero at the time, called Managing Your Emotions. And what's <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about this now. I'm like looking back on it, going, oh my god, I never learned how to ever express my emotions. What I learned to do was push them down even further in the name of faith and in the name of God. And so all that repressed hurt and pain and the suffering that I had felt, not just from growing up with, you know, the abuse and the violence and the things that happened there, but then all this other stuff now on top of it, which is I'm healed. Everything's great. Oh yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's like, I remember this guy. I, I, Oh God. Okay, so I remember if I start going on rabbit trails, keep pulling me back. Yeah, no, it's fine. I was in this church service and this guy had this cast and I said to him, I said, Hey, what'd you do to your hand? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I did nothing I, to my hand. <laughs> I saw that so many times. So many times. Now let me let me ask you this question because Yeah, please do. I, I, I kind of observed this. This this is my thought on the, a lot of those services. You know, there would be like I don't know what time frame this was for you, but I'm thinking like nineties. Oh, yeah, 90 through 2000. 2000. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, gosh, Ellen, we must be like some kind of soul twins or something. Our stories parallel so closely is crazy to me. I know. Um, Because it's almost the exact same time frame for me in that that Mm -hmm. movement. But I, I started to observe later on that, yeah, everyone, you know, suppress, push down your emotions, all that stuff. But then you'd have these, like, strange sort of holy laughter manifestations and, oh um, you know, dancing yes. in the spirit and, and yes. you know, shouting and hollering the victory and whatever. And and I began to observe that. I want to get your opinion on this. From my perspective, I observed that as sort of the release valve. Like you could think about a pressure switch or something, right? Like like a steam engine or something where the pressure has to be let out. Let out. And so we yes. have these sort of weird spiritual manifestations, which probably to me had more to do with, we didn't have anywhere else to have this emotional release. <laughs> and so it would come out in these strange sort of ways. That's, that was my perspective on it. I'd love to hear yours. Well, I would say I'm agreeing. I'm, I'm concurring to that. Now I wouldn't have back then. I would have said it was a move of the Holy Spirit, but right. now looking back on that and having to really, that was part of my deconstruction was taking these experiences and really looking at them. I remember when I experienced Holy laughter but I also remember what was preceding that. I was in this place of nervousness. I remember this. I was really perpetually nervous. And I had all this anxiety and all this stuff was going on, but I had to keep pushing it down, right? Because I had to be like, you know, I, I'm, you know, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I, I had to remain in this, this way. And I was at the revival that was happening in Toronto. And all these people were like, Saying, you know, if you want holy laughter, like, you know, allow God to move, you know, and, and you'll receive this holy laughter. Well, what was preceding it for me was I was extremely fearful 
of what was going on inside my body I, I, and in my emotions. I was feeling fear from the people to my right. I was, I was, you know, afraid. I was just afraid. And I, exploded. I, I mean, I remembered it was like, ah! I mean, this yeah. like, and I went down on the floor and I just kept laughing and kept laughing. And then all these people gathered around me and they're like, this is the move of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I look back on that incident, I saw it exactly as you said. I see it as, and, and I had to get, I had to get real with this one. I had to get really gut level because my life was so depressing and I had so much depression from all the crap I'd been through and now I'm having this laughter. But what I was doing was denying all the, that pain. And as I sat, I remember this was part of my deconstruction. I said, was that real? I mean, I remember I would just sit there. I'm like, is this real? Like, did I really laugh in the Holy Spirit? And it was almost like my higher self, my own self said, no, it was not the Holy Spirit. It was your, it was the little girl, this little girl on the inside that was, was wanting acknowledgement, was wanting validation, was wanting this. And the only way she could do it in that moment was by laughing. And she just pulled me up from nowhere and she just began the, the laughter, which then eventually turned into a complete and total release of tears. And the way that I the way that I see that was very similar how I would see anger as like a secondary emotion. I felt like the laughter in some ways was a secondary emotion to the suffering and the pain and the, the deep anguish and the deep and so I just saw that progression. Now I see it that way. Um but at the time, you know, everybody was like, this is holy laughter and all this stuff. And then there was like this drunkenness. Okay. So like after that whole experience, people had to carry me to the vehicle. And what I, what I was told was happening was that I was drunk in the spirit. But now when I look back on that, understanding energetics, understanding energy healing, when there's a release of that healing or that energy where there's blocks and stops and, yeah. and the, and you become unstuck, man, there's a release of dizziness that, that ultimately results from that. And I, and that's what I believe happened. I believe the valve came off. Um, sadly, sadly, Aaron, <laughs> um, we didn't go anywhere with that experience for probably about another 10 years. Cause I, you know, it was like 35 years in the charismatic movement. I, it, I just chalked it up to an experience. We all came back to, you know, the church and we were all telling our experiences. And I said it was laughter and all this stuff. It, it's kind of sad now when you look back on that. You wish that you had somebody that had been there be able to say, oh, what this is, Ellen, this isn't, this is like an inner healing that's actually happening to you. You know, um, but that didn't happen. I just, you know, kept with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I think I love how you framed that out and explained that because I do think the experiences themselves were valid. I think, you know, a group of people gets together and their intention, especially uh, the Toronto version of this was really oh, yeah. into the inner healing um and and that kind of stuff so i think you know group gets together they have that intent and that energy starts flowing you can tap into that current right mm-hmm. um but it's like a baby's playing with power tools in, in a lot of ways i'm thinking of a white heart song i don't know if you, <laughs> if yes. you ever listen to yes. but they, they had a song called power tools and it was talking about babies playing with power tools and yeah i mean that's what it was right like yeah. if you had an experienced shaman or an experienced energy healer or even uh, an, in, an intuitive psychotherapist that could 
you know, mm-hmm. walk people through. Um, so that it could have so much more could have happened for us in those moments. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think too, it would have helped me understand God's heart at the time. I would say God's heart. Um, of validating my experience. Instead, what it was chalked up to was people were like, look at that experience. That's awesome. I, I mean, I remember for like days I was dizzy after days I was like going through this shit, but I was worship leader and I was a leader in the church and I had to kind of like hold it together. And if at any point I was doing the dizziness thing, it was like, oh, she's drunken in the Holy Spirit. And it was like they had this. And I think that that would I would say would probably be one of the the most damaging things that I I ever experienced was the certainty of the experience, the mm. certainty that people put on it that said this is this is what's actually happening without me going into my own intuition, without me really kind of knowing. And because of that, the way that I thought I heard God talk about it was was the same way, even though I had that brief moment where it was like, no, this isn't the Holy Spirit. This is the little girl inside. But the discipleship in that way was it just didn't go that way. I mean, I you know, we did Neil Anderson's book and all this shit that was happening there. And it was just, oh, my God, it was like cutting off everything under the sun. But what I was doing was, I was cutting myself off. I was cutting the authentic Ellen. I was cutting her voice off. And instead, right. I was taking on this um, persona of, of a different voice, of a, of a different way of being. Um, it was so against, I mean, I, I still think about one of the reasons things didn't get, get healed, so to speak, in my back and different things was because I was holding so much tension yeah. and holding it together, but still, you know, doing the, the God moment. Yeah. I think so. So going back to what we were talking about earlier or the way I set up the conversation, we, that particular current of Christianity, I don't want to speak for all of them because, you know, I don't know. I don't think Catholics do this. <laughs> but, but what we came up in, um, you lose your your felt sense of self. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, you lose touch with that. You, you're you taught to doubt that. That's, that's where the lies are coming from. Um, that's where, you know, because we have to walk by faith. And so faith means believing what we can't see. Right. And so we're taught to disconnect from that sort of fence, uh, again, felt sense of self. Mm-hmm. It's really about being grounded in your body. It's really what it is. I think. Yes. 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 And, and so that's recovering the authentic self, right? Like, cause you can't be authentic in the moment if you are out of touch with your body. Totally. And out of touch with the feelings that are in your body or if you just completely mm-hmm. distrust them. And so of course we all walked around tense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> all the time. We all walked around tense all the time. Yeah. Um, wow. So how then have you managed to get back in touch with that part of yourself. Mm. How about we start with that question? A long journey. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, very long journey. You know, where it really, where it really happened to me was the acknowledgement of what I went through. That, that was the first thing that needed to happen was acknowledging that there was a problem. You know, I was an AA and NA and, you know, and there's that, you know, step one, which says you need to acknowledge that there was a problem. 
And I think that that was really hard for me because I had such a loyalty code going with the church and I had such loyalty and I, I wanted to please God and you know, you know, the whole thing. And I, I just yeah. had this like, don't speak about the men of God this way. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. And I remember thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm sitting in some, I, cause I ended up doing just counseling. I went into some counseling and I remember thinking, my God, I, there's all these bad feelings coming up about the first pastor in my life that discipled me. And then there's bad feelings coming up about, you know, the second pastor in my life, you know, that helped launch me into prophetic movement and prophecy and ministry. And now there's bad feelings coming up against over here and X, Y, Z. It was like all over. And I thank God for this counselor. She was amazing. <coughs> she said, Ellen, she said, those feelings are there because they're real and they're valid. So let's just talk about those feelings. Now, I went on this inner healing journey for, for a good number of years. But for that entire first year, I was delivering my story to her. She wasn't telling me how to do it, nothing. I had actually no emotion during that first year because I was afraid. There was, I mean, there was emotion, but I was not showing any visual signs. I was just relaying my story. And I went through this, and I went through this, and I went through this. But that was good, because what it was doing was it was starting to remove the layering that mm. had happened. So she just would use her ear to listen. That was all she did. The second year we went into this, I started repeating specific incidences, because, you know, you can have so many. It's like, okay, like I got a bazillion incidences, which one? And she would be like, you keep repeating these same like 10, 10 to 15 incidences from my mm. childhood, from the church, from ministry, all of these things. She's like, I feel like those are root ones. Those are root incidences that have opened up a lot of things. Let's look at this. So I would begin to say it again, right? Here's the incident. And now I would start to feel things, man. The vehemence was coming. The anger was coming. I started to throw glasses. I started to throw cups. Um, mm. And. And so she then, I, I love this lady. What she did was she ended up buying lots of boxes full of Salvation Army stuff. And we went to a dump and I began naming the glasses and naming the plates and I began whipping them. And as my body was in motion, see, my body itself was yeah. also in motion with this because it needed to be. It, it yeah. needed out. Little did she, she didn't quite understand everything completely, but she just was going with her gut on what to do. I was starting to enter into this place of rage that I had not entered into in a long time. And there's a reason I'm, I, I'm just saying a little bit about this backdrop, because maybe people can see a progression. Um, and then that rage would turn into exhaustion and tired because I was just angry all the time. I mean, it was just coming up, coming up, coming up. But what was interesting was as the rage began to come in, I started to not give a shit about what the, what, about the pastor's opinions about what anybody was thinking at that yeah. point. It was like reclaiming my power in that moment. I was reclaiming the fact that someone's validating, standing with me in this dump in the middle of the woods, and she's handing me a plate, and I'm saying, and this is for this person, and I'm whipping it. She's handing me this cup, and this is for this person. And the, the crash it. alone mm-hmm. would always, like, it would touch a lot of my vagal, vagus nerve in the back, but I would hear the, the crash of the plate, and there was just something with that, that it was like, oh, this feels good. And I got into this flow, and we were doing this for, like, the whole next year. And the rage was flowing out. And then there'd be these points of exhaustion. Then, then there would be this transition into just this wail, mm. this wail from the inside, Aaron. It came from way down deep. And it would start to come up, 
And then it would be overshadowed by anger. Then it would be over, you know, shattered. And then, and then I went through periods and points of like apathy. And then I wasn't caring. Then there was, a, I mean, it was a whole unpacking of the emotions because I needed that to go in order for me to actually realize that there is a self here. Like I was connecting. I'm starting to connect with wow. myself emotionally and yeah. physically because there's emotion you know there's motion with that when you when you're going like this and you're whipping a plate there's there's a there's that whole motion of it i mean it was just like i i got into i mean I, we were aiming for things she's like let's aim for that over there now i love nature okay so i would not encourage people to throw it at trees like i did i mean i would never do that now but the trees were amazing they were supportive they held the whole thing she held the whole thing and what was interesting was I remember as I was going through this, different memories would come up of pastors and with all these things and things would come up of where I wasn't allowed to do this. Well, Ellen, you're not allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to, you know, to feel these things. Um, and that's not what a woman does. She's sweet and she's gentle and she's soft. And I thought to myself, holy fuck, like you're being sweet and gentle and soft. Had these people ever lived with a woman? <laughs> <laughs> well, there were married i'm sure that they were in their own maybe level of denial i don't know but, <laughs> well i know what you're saying i'm just saying like yeah. but it was like this you know you had to do this and she never did that and then the following year after that and this is just part of the progression was now i was really in touch with everything and i just i just wept and wailed and groaned and was in a fetal position on the ground um, you know, we would go into these sessions together and I would just lose it. And the tears just, it was like a valve broke and I just cried and I wept and I cried and I wept. And now what's, what's funny, and I didn't say this at the beginning, but she was a Christian. So this is a quite interesting, um, thing, but she would, you know, tell me these things like, where's Jesus in this? Where do you see Jesus? All mm-hmm. these, you know, these different mm-hmm. things. And that's when the bone of contention began to rise with Jesus. Like, you know, do you really care that I went through all this stuff? You know, because I was still in that frame of mind of going to Jesus a lot. But I was starting to begin the separation point of where Jesus was now going to be over here. And I was going to start reclaiming Ellen, not reclaiming Ellen with Jesus, but reclaiming Ellen with Ellen. But I had to get angry at Jesus. I had to have that moment. Um, that was scary. I was scared to death to do that, but I did. Um, and there were just all sorts of, you know, different things, even the Holy Spirit. I was mad at the Holy Spirit. Then I went mad at, you know, God. Then I was, you know, the whole, the whole paradigm, all of these belief systems began to have emotions attached to them. Hell began to have an emotion attached. No longer was I like, yeah, everybody's going to hell or, you know, I was starting to be like, wait, what the? What the hell are we doing? Hell, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what started to come up was also that I, you know, am a lesbian. And so then all the attachments with the belief systems and the counseling and the conversion therapy sure. and all this stuff came up. And I would go through the same cycle again. It was like for every point of the identity crisis, the identity stolen, the identity devalued, dishonored, suppressed, oppressed. There would be this process of anger, rage, feeling, crying, anger, rage, feeling, crying, body. And each time I was getting more grounded into myself, getting grounded into my identity, getting grounded into the understanding that this stuff over here was stuff put on me. It's not who I am. Cause that was big. Cause that, cause it was this whole thing of like, 
I mean, I remember this, this one, we, we had this one session and it was like, I almost felt like my, my mind was being released from me. I mean, the only way I can describe it was I felt this pressure on me. It was almost like an entity. I mean, the only way I could just to describe it. And yeah. as I began to cry, it was like it began to release its tentacles like on my head and I began to get really dizzy. And I was, you know, vomiting. There, there's a whole lot to this whole thing. If I'm going too far, just tell me. But, no. like, my body was releasing in the way that it knew how. So I was coughing. I was vomiting. Um, all sorts of different things were happening in my body. And I felt it lift off me. Mm-hmm. I felt this thing. And it was about being gay. It was about being a lesbian. It was about, you know, that this is okay, that this is all right, Ellen, that, you know, this is who you are, that you've been created this way. Um and I, I just felt it lift off my face and, I, and my face, the pressure on my face, like the relaxedness that I began to feel in that moment. Yeah. The release off my chest because, you know, our bodies are great discerners. And I know I'm talking to the choir here, but our bodies are the first thing that greets the world in the morning. Our yeah. bodies are incredible discerners. And when I felt the pressure come off the chest, when I felt the pressure come off my knees, just as I was taking in the idea that all of this was wrong. And she just sat there and was validating everything the whole moment. And she's a Christian, too, which was, was so ironic. But she was validating it. She was like, this is real, Ellen. This was trauma. This is trauma. That's what's coming off of you. And and then I began to, you know, reclaim myself. And how that – and feel free to jump in at this point because I could keep – going <laughs> no go ahead i want to hear what you're going to say <laughs> are you sure yeah i'm positive okay all right so now all of this was out all this stuff was out and it was like a shattered mirror i mean it's the only way to describe it like the mirror was in a thousand pieces you can't put anything back together and it was like you know i i kind of there was almost kind of like a surrendering to the fact that this is a shattered mirror but it was a shattered self-concept. It was a shattered paradigms of all these years of, of, of how I needed to be to act, you know, and thought, word, and deed. You act like this, you know, you, and, and it was like I could just see all of that mess right there. And when I looked, I remember I, I, if, if I, if, how to describe this was I remember there was this broken plate and I, it was kind of like an interesting looking plate. And I remember I looked in it and I could see slight shadows of myself, but it was like broken. And I realized, my God, I was broken. I was completely broken. How do I put this back together? And I remember I, I went through this process of like trying to put it all back together. And that was not what I needed to do. I didn't need to put it all back together. What I needed to do was take all the shards and all the pieces and put it right in the recycling. Like that's, that's what I needed to do. Leave it where it was. Don't try to, don't try to put the plate back together, Ellen. Don't try to do that because now it was requiring a new plate, a new mirror, a new, a new article of clothing, new <laughs> shoes. A whole new way of thinking. And, and the way that that began to happen was <laughs> I, I started looking in other religions. I started looking in other places because I was right. like, you know, Christianity left me this shattered mess. I'm not saying everything in Christianity was wrong. I'm not saying I didn't learn certain, you know, certain points and good things and I saw genuine things. Yes. But to reclaim myself, I couldn't go back and rebuild off that same foundation. There was no foundation anymore. The little girl was up. She was up with a vengeance. Everything, you know, everything was out. Like I had to do something completely and totally different and paint a whole new picture and, 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 you know, 
do a whole different portrait of myself. And so I just started diving into other religions. Um, I began to understand that there was an actualization of self you could you could yeah. try to find. But before we go there, I want to come back to yeah. some some of this emotional mm. stuff. And this 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 is what. So I shared my experience and people that watch, you know, but for those that haven't heard, um, you know, I burnt out in 2016, totally, completely burnt out and um, had a, our, our stories are so similar, uh, had some, you know, messy stuff happen in my home from about the time I was in seventh grade until senior in high school and <clears throat> got into college, got into those groups led by a word of faith pastor being discipled, you know, and so the idea was I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind me. I'm pr- I mean, oh, yes. those were my mantras, right? Because I didn't want to have to deal with anything from my past. So, you know, just a little over seven years ago, um, I'm cleaning out uh, some stuff, and I find a box that my mom and dad had kept memorabilia from that time, oh, God, my mom kept everything. I finally finished going through all her stuff. She's been dead almost seven years. And I finally, it's like I would open cabinets that, you know, I thought I knew what was in there. And I would open it up and be like, oh, wow, <laughs> more hidden treasures, you know, because they lived with us. Uh, we, we took care of them the last few years of their lives. And uh, so I opened up this memorabilia from that time. And the best way I could describe it was like, Somebody walked up, emotionally pulled a scab off, and just gushing blood. <laughs> That's the only way, yes. gushing emotional pain, right? Mm-hmm. And I laid down to to meditate and not to do the Christian thing. I was past that already. Um, I actually started emotionally processing in the early 2000s, where I went through very similar things to what you're describing, but I still kept this sort of Christian, mm-hmm. weird sort of Christian it was just it was uh it was just a weird hybrid <laughs> yes yes I'm following you and so i have this this um this experience and i have this vision and meditation and there are all these screens like in the movie the matrix when neo i can't remember which one it is i think it's the second matrix where he realizes he's done this over and over and over again and or they've done this you know the machines have and there's all these different versions of Neo talking on all these little screens all at the same time. And it was like every sermon I'd ever heard or preached, every book I'd ever read, every conference, every seminar, everything I'd ever been to. And it's like, you know, seven steps to answered prayer, uh, how to be a better man of God. God, how to be a better pastor, how you know, worship conferences and things like that, church growth conferences. And it done I mean like it's impossible to assimilate all of that and change and create. So what we were doing was we were going to these conferences, we were going to Bible studies, we were going to church, we we're going through in inner inner healing, we were going through bondage God, that stuff was so bad. We're going through bondage breaker. Um and all of this to create this sort of cut out version of ourselves or this externally created version of ourselves. There's this externally created version of what it means to be a person of faith, of what it means to be all this stuff. And then we're trying to internalize that, right? We're trying to literally internalize that life in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
I realized in that moment that that is an impossible thing to do. It's completely impossible and it's toxic and it's unhealthy. And so for me, and this is where I, I said a lot to get to this point that I want to discuss. For me, it's the hierarchy of human experience from a moral perspective. Uh, or, and here's what I mean when I say moral perspective. You're not allowed to be angry. Oh, right. You're not allowed to feel that, what we would typically call negative mm-hmm. emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this legislation, that's probably a better way to say it, a legislation of our interior experiences mm-hmm. uh, as though one is good and another is bad. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is because I also started looking at other spiritual paths and found out pretty quickly that oh. there's the same kind of legislation that goes on in terms of what you're allowed to have as your own inner experience mm-hmm. and what you're not allowed to have or what what one is higher or better mm-hmm. than the other. And so as I'm listening to you talk about your healing process, um, it was so important for you that you had someone in your life that allowed you to have those experiences emotionally without judging them in order to be able to integrate them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just wanted to highlight that point uh, for people because I, I think that gets missed and I think it's really easy to go um, do more forms of bypassing those difficult situations mm-hmm. and emotions and traumas and things that we feel. But, you have to, they say in AA, right? You have to feel it to heal it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There has to be that integration mm-hmm. that takes place. So anyway, uh, where were we going with the conversation? I just wanted oh, to... Oh, that's okay. No, I was, uh, that was kind of where I was headed, actually, because I started to see in these other religions, all these other things that and New Age movements, and I was, you know, just checking them all out. It just didn't sit right with me. Right. It did because I began to see such similarities and such relinquishing of yourself mm-hmm. to an entity or relinquishing of yourself to, the, I don't know, the Pleiadians, the relinquishing of yourself, right. um, you know, and there was always this like, you know, I'm going to, and I'm, please, I'm not trying to be offensive here to anybody, but the way tarot cards were used were the same way the Bible was used, the mm-hmm. way channelers can be used, can be the exact same way that we would use the, with the prophets. You know, yeah. the prophets are coming into town, now the channelers are coming into town. You know, and it was like, there would never be this this innate knowing within yourself, like, can I know right from wrong? Can I, can I know, like, the path I'm supposed to go on? And that was the biggest thing for me, was for me to be able to choose my path, choose however I wanted to do this, and that free will is not a sin, Having right. free will, right. making a choice a really is not a sin. That's a really good point. Say that again <laughs> for the people in the back. <laughs> okay. Um, I needed to know that having choice, choosing my own path, choosing how I want to walk my life is not a sin because free will is not a sin. And whether we wanted to look at it or not, we would always talk about free will in the church. It was considered really at the base. Well, you know, you just got what God wants. Or then in the new age, what the channeler said, what the tarot cards are saying, what the Bible said, 
what Rama Maharshi has said, Oof. what the law of one has said, what this has said, what this has said. Mm. And I remember thinking, well, what about, what about what I'm saying? Like, can I know anything? Can I have my own, like, what's the point of having intuition? What's the point of having your own intelligence about yeah. a matter? Yeah. And I remember that, you know, like in the church, it was very much frowned upon because it would, they would use the scripture. Well, you know, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You know, and they would go down this whole thing, you know, living by your heart, Ellen, isn't right. But as I unpacked this and it was a really long journey, Erin, I mean, really, really long. Um, but I began to really realize that my heart knew my heart knew what was good for me. Yeah. You're, you're bringing out my, my old Pentecostal self, which I have discovered, by the way, and this has been recent. This has oh, been very no. recent. This has been just in the last few months is a part of my authentic self. Like I didn't have to give it all up. There were certain things about oh, me. That, you know what I'm saying? And so we, we have a tendency to kind of just, uh, anyway, the reason yeah, no, I'm saying, no, no. the reason I'm, I'm saying this is bringing up the, the Pentecostal in me, cause I can feel this. I can feel like the spirit rising, so to, so to speak. That means that energy current, right? Yep. This is so important, this issue of free will, because I can just feel like this is, this is an issue that, that people are receiving healing over right now. But yes. because subconsciously, they probably haven't realized how much our free will, I mean, kind of the objective of these religious movements, whatever we want to call them, whatever the power elements are behind those, the objective is to capture the free will, to tell you you can't choose how to live your own life. You're wrong if you choose. And and you're making such a great point. Uh, You may not be following the Bible, but you're following the I Ching or you're following the tarot cards or you're following your spirit guides or ascended masters or um whatever the case may be mm-hmm. so i just i just want to pause here for a second because i feel like there's such a healing moment for people um to reclaim the right to choose how they want to live and that it's not a sin i think it's so important yeah. so anyway i just i i want to i want people to like I want to hold that moment for people. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked in the chat, but you guys let us know in the chat if that's something that that speaks to you. I know it speaks mm-hmm. to me. Um, I think that part's so important. So anyway, continue, Ellen. Sorry. <laughs> no, please. There's no apology here. We're just going with a flow. I'm I'm just we're in a flow. Um, yeah. You know, the whole concept of free will not being a sin was really important to me because of even just even the abuse of background I came from. Because there was a lot of suppression of fight. Mm. You don't fight. You don't stand up. You don't do that mm-hmm. because it's going to be worse. Mm-hmm. Then it will transfer over into Christianity. You stand up. You fight. You're going against God. And so then you're letting the devil in. And so it was this idea that, like, I just had to be walked on. I remember I had a prophetic word, and this is this is the most tragic prophetic word I have to say that I ever had. But this man said, you are like David. And in scripture, it talks about how David was run over by horses. I think it's in Psalms or something that he was that he was run over by horses. And the, the guy said to me, that is exactly who you are. You are the heart of David, but you are being run over by horses. But it was it was like a good thing that I had been run over by horses. <laughs> and I remember, and all that did, all that did in that moment 
Was it suppress the emotion, suppress the permission to cry? Because that's part of free will. We mm-hmm. have permission to cry. We have permission to be angry. We have permission to feel. We have all, we have permission to do these things. That's part of not just being human. That's free will. We have, we can do that. It's okay. And because of some of these prophetic words I had and, and the fact that my abusive, you know, tendency back then was to surrender because if I thought I was going to be worse, all of that laid this whole foundation that choice went out the window. And I had to be run over by horses. I had to be walked on by institutions. I had to submit. And it was a subservience. That's what it was. It was subservient. It was a slave mentality. It was like, you have to submit to all of these things. I mean, I burned myself out later. I remember I, I was just like, I, I had to, you know, lay on a couch for eight months and couldn't move because I realized my whole choice, my ability to pull myself out of harm, pull myself out of pain, was was not was told I couldn't do that. Like I, it was it was better to stay in the pain. It was better to sacrifice. It was better so that free will to say wait no that's not right. I'm, I take that back. Was like no you, you can't do that. And it was a sin. And so I I just wanted to say that there was a whole line of thinking that was birthed in me from from my childhood experiences that that catered to this whole being walked on and run over by horses. Um, within the church and yeah. it's definitely a trauma response. I mean, <clears throat> in, uh, um, community trauma community, I'm going to say it that way because as a clinical therapist, we would use different terms, but they talk about, you know, four basic trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, fawning. Mm-hmm. And fawning is that suppressing, uh, of, that fight that wants to come out, right? Because if you fight, you're going to make it worse. And so what happens to a lot of us is that we have traumas when we're younger and we get used to coping with trauma and responding to trauma out of, depending on the situation, Mm. a preferred mechanism. Uh, And so with oftentimes with those who have power or are perceived as having power, uh, fawning is a, is a good choice because if they're more powerful than you, uh, f- for whatever reason and in whatever capacity, fighting doesn't look like a good option. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, flight may not be either for whatever reason. So we end up fawning oftentimes to authority. Mm-hmm. So that can be a system, that could be a denomination, that could be an elder, an apostle. Yes. Uh, it can be a therapist. It can be yes. a, a, yes. a guru, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of an observation that, that I would have because that's, that's so true. Like we suppress that stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if we have trauma and we end up fawning in these situations and not realizing it. And the thing is, in any abusive relationship, the abuser will make it feel like it's your fault that it's happening. Yeah. And so or if you make a choice, an independent choice, there will yeah. be some kind of consequence. Yes connected to that choice so it could be a cold shoulder it could be um you know it could be very subtle or it could be very out in the open you know mm-hmm. uh, physical abuse or sexual abuse something like that mm-hmm. and so um yeah so being able to come out and realize okay part of this religious abuse part of this religious trauma is the suppression of your free will being trampled by horses oh gosh yes 
right? Yes. yes. And that it is okay. I just I have to keep hitting this point home. It is okay to make your own choices. Yes. And to be responsible. The way I think about it now is like I'm responsible. Yes, I'm responsible to the people in my life for sure. And I have different responsibilities. You know, people have different claims on my life based on who they are, like my kids, right? Yeah. Um, have more of a claim. Uh, and so I have responsibilities there. But I also have a responsibility to my future self, to future Aaron, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I think about the choices I'm making now, I'm here's what I'm trying to say. Instead of being accountable to the elders or accountable to the pastor or accountable to the AA group, I mean, this could be in any. Oh, I know. I've been here. Yes. Accountability to my sponsor. There's accountability to my future self. Exactly. That will help me because so many people think in terms of right and wrong. This is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is evil. As though that's the only frame through which you can look at, Situations and there's very few things. I would say nothing is inherently right or wrong. Mm. There are things that are inherently ethical mm-hmm. and unethical as we live together in a society, right? Right. Yes. Yes. But you can think about. You can still live ethically. You can still be a a, a person who is responsible and law-abiding citizen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. By simply thinking in terms of cause and effect or consequences, mm-hmm. context and consequences, right? So if I make this decision, what's the context of this decision? And then what are the consequences going to be to those around me that I care about uh, or to people? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how's this going to affect other people? And then how? what's the impact going to be for my future self? And mm-hmm. I think that's a clear way. That's a better way to make a decision. Yeah, I just sit there in the moment and say, Oh my God, is this right? Is this wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those, because that's that duality. I, I believe yeah. that there's, I believe that there's more than one option. I believe there's more yeah. than two options. I believe there's a, a, a plethora of options. And part of coming into my own reclaiming of power and self autonomy was realizing that there's more than two options. It's not either or. It, it, there, it can be possibility. I mean, it's free. Like there, the possibility is there. And for me to unlock my free will and my choices, I had to step. Like I had to start taking these little steps because, because once I was validated, once my experiences were validated, once I was heard, then came the whole, I need to start enacting my free will. And so I would do something to see what would happen. I mean, I literally would do this. I would sit waiting. Is God going to strike me down? Is, you know, is, is the pastor going to find me? Is somebody going to do something? Oh, God. And when I realized it wouldn't happen, well, then I was like, oh. And then I take another step and I try something else. And so it was a lot of me taking these little baby steps with my free will that were not real. They didn't rub people a certain way. Okay. It was like these little moments that nobody really knew I was doing, but I was going, no, I don't believe that anymore inside my head. But then eventually, the more you start doing that, the more you start realizing lightning isn't hitting you. You're not in car accidents because there'll be all these, you know, things, these bad demonic things are going to happen to you. You start to realize, wait a minute. I think that this whole free will uh, uh, is not a sin. And I think actually, wow, I'm starting to feel better about myself. I, In fact, that choice I made opened up another door over here, which then opened up another door over here. 
what what the pastor said was going to happen to me if I walked into, you know, living the lesbian lifestyle, as it was called back in the day. Like, if I do that, there was going to be all these cataclysmic things. Things haven't happened to me since I did that. But I had to take all these little steps first mm-hmm. of choice of, you know, maybe going out with a woman. These are these are simple examples. But, like, I'm going to go out with a woman, but tell nobody I'm doing it. Right? You know, this is this is. You know, and and I'm going to go to a place in a part of town that nobody knows me, Um, you know, because there was still some fear there and all that stuff. But as I started to realize this isn't happening to me, I started to take bigger and bolder steps and my mouth began to follow it. My heart, you know, was really I just my whole body was conforming to whatever the choice I was making within that moment. And I, my body wasn't afraid. I didn't have the heart palpitations. I didn't have the headaches. I didn't have, because little by little by little, what I was doing was I was making the path for myself. I was, I was starting to live from my future desires, the things that I wanted to see happen. And they've happened. Like, here they are, and I'm still here, and I haven't died, you know? And I, and it was part of really, that whole stepping was not only learning that, you know, God and religion and the Bible and all this stuff was not going to come after me, but that I began to love myself. I began to really realize you can trust yourself, Ellen. That decision and choice you made, look at that. It didn't have all these cataclysmic results. Wow, look at that. You made this choice for yourself, which then internalized in me, well, maybe I can trust myself. Mm. Or an opportunity would come because of a choice I made, and I'm like, oh, my God. Maybe I can trust my myself. Look what happened there. Mm-hmm. And it was this unpacking of trusting myself. And that led ultimately, honestly, I mean, there's so much to the story, but like breaking the mindsets around doubt and unbelief and self-doubt. And, you know, eventually it turned into to self-love and it turned into the fact that, you know what, I'm okay. I'm okay with the decisions I'm making. You're okay with the decisions you're making. Nobody's nobody's hurting anybody here. And I don't mean making decisions to hurt people or to, course, yeah. to hurt self. I'm hoping people know that. But I'm just meaning just basic decisions. I mean, I had my will so locked that I couldn't drink alcohol. I mean, I'm, you know, like you can't do certain well, things. You, well, if you can't, if you, if you can't feel your own feelings. <laughs> right. You know, that's that's how locked up the will becomes in those scenarios. Right. You're not even allowed to be angry. We're not allowed to, mm-hmm. especially if you're in leadership. Like, mm-hmm. I remember people getting on me for crying at my parents, both my parents' funerals, um, because I should be rejoicing because they're in heaven, brother, and Jesus bore our griefs. Oh, my God. I am oh, yeah. so sorry. No, I'm, I'm not wounded by it. It's just, it's sick, you know. It is. That on it's just sick. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's deranged. I mean, I've heard not enough pejoratives <laughs> that I can use to communicate and express my feelings. But what, one thing I want to come back and address, because um, I still consider myself a spiritual person. I still yeah. believe in a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think there's life after death. Mm-hmm. I still believe in those things strongly. I still believe in, you know, supernatural phenomena and still experience it. Um, but let's, so let's talk about free will in the context of uh, your life's purpose or your destiny, because you, you, you can, you can be surrendering your will to God because you, you know, you're doing it from a moral 
paradigm or a, I want to please God paradigm or I don't want to get in trouble with God paradigm. But then you can switch into, you know, you can leave that. Okay, hell doesn't exist. God's not judging me. You know, I'm outside of this. And then in that quest for meaning, that search for meaning, which is how I would define spirituality. You know, how do you find meaning in your life? That's mm-hmm. how I would define it. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can get into this, well, my karma is supposed to be teaching me this oh, in life. life or uh, <clears throat> this is my sole purpose, sole purpose. And by soul, I don't mean singular. I mean, S O U L, right. Mm-hmm. Or this is my soul's purpose, or this is my destiny. Or let's talk a little bit around that. What, what are your thoughts on some of that stuff? Oh, that can also <laughs> will and bondage, right? Cause <clears throat> I have free will, but I also have this destiny or I have free will or I chose this. This is another one that gets on my nerves. I chose this suffering and stuff that I was going to go through. Uh, for my own progression and growth in this life. Uh, I mean, there can be all kinds of just hidden meanings that can also prevent you from making your own choices. So just love to hear your thoughts on that. <clears throat> well, I don't necessarily believe anymore that there is a sole purpose. I don't believe that there is this, this specific thing, this specific path, um, because I, I believe that that takes you so out of the present. And I believe that the present is where we create from. Um, and so that could look a whole totally bazillion different directions in one moment. One moment, I might think it's my purpose to pick up this. But then all of a sudden, I like this. So I think I'm going to pick this up now. And this is now become my purpose. Wait, no, maybe I'll pick up this because this is my purpose. And then over here, and now you've got like such you know, a brilliant illustration. <laughs> you've got all this stuff in front of you for like purpose. And so I, I mean, to answer, I, I've heard, I've heard all of that. I've heard the whole like we chose to come here, but we chose in this contract long before that we were going to have all these things happen. And I, to be completely honest, I, I know I might not be able to. Prove what I'm trying to say, but I feel like that's a whole load of shit. Because I believe that it takes away from, it's almost like predestination. If we have this, we have this contract that we have up there, well then, you know, we're just predestined, Ellen. You're predestined to go through all the sexual abuse you went through and the rape and all the shit you went through because it's just, it was just, we're predestined. I mean, come on, the council is up there. Y'all were sitting at the council. You made this decision. You all agreed and you came here as though, like, I really wanted to put myself through all that. Like, can we, can we like just be rational for a second? Just be logical. Yeah. I didn't wake up one day and say, I want to be raped. And I know I'm using terms here, but I'm, I'm it's, it's fine. Because I did not wake up one day saying that that's how I wanted my life to go. Nor did I set it in motion with a whole bunch of other people who were going to agree to that to do all that. <laughs> I, okay, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's, to me, it's so nonsensical. It's yeah. almost worse. It's almost worse than predestination in my mind. Well, um, it takes away perfect. from your free will then. It right. takes away from your decision-making because you are always thinking, well, is this within my contract? I mean, you might not be saying that I'm, like right then, but it's like, am I within this contract? Like, you know, I think I think I just, I think I don't want to even do any of that, but is that in my contract? Yeah. And, and I, I mentioned I, times in your life where you were like, 
get me out of this soul family or this soul group because <laughs> I don't want to do another life with these, with these people. A lot. Presently. Yes. Yes. Oh, you know, like, yes. Because it's just kind of like nobody's working for me here. Like, that contract didn't work for me. Now, I totally understand that I resilience was built and fortitude and the human spirit's amazing. But to honestly, to I, I just I just don't believe that there's this one path, this one purpose. Right. I mean, I believe that there's a whole bunch of different dimensions, you know, and quantum and like we got all this different stuff we can do. So why is there this one path, this soul path, this thing I got to do for me right now? If we were to do anything with purpose, I just want to be a, a, a good human being. I, I want to love my neighbor. I don't want to hit the cashier because she's irritating me. I want to, you know, be a good human being. I want to. um Believe what I want to believe in spirituality and not have a name on it. I no longer need to define those things anymore. And I feel like we, I just feel like this whole purpose thing is, again, I, we got to put a definition on it. We got to define it because that gives us purpose. But what if we can't define it? What if we come to the end of all of this and there is no transcendence? What if we come to the end of this? thing which i don't believe we ever come to i i just believe we're always evolving can we be okay with that yeah do we have to have a destination do we have to have a purpose i know that's not answering your question but i, no. I feel like that's just no. where i landed yeah no 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 that, that that is i just wanted to talk around that because one of the things that i noticed was like we're talking about some core issues some core issues to just being human all right so having a connection to your body to your sense of your felt mm. sense of self um <clears throat> having emotions and the <clears throat> ability and freedom to feel those emotions and express those emotions in appropriate settings and ways right um sexuality um and then choice i mean these are basic human yes. things right the power to choose the power to feel the power to respond to your own sexuality in appropriate ways, of course, um, and choice, you know, like these are healthy things. Like, like if you want to raise a healthy child, validate their emotions, yep. let them teach them how to express them in appropriate contexts and fashions, right? <laughs> validate their sexuality and teach them to express that in appropriate context and fashions, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. choice, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Something as simple as, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because you, you, we, I gave that up because I was called a God, you know, like, like at 18, 18 years old, I'm called a God. So at the time where I'm still yes. trying to figure out what do I want to be when I grow up, that I, I didn't get that option. Yes. Yes. I didn't get that choice. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about these really core fundamental issues about being a human being that get, that we surrender to religion or it gets taken away from us or yep. and both. Right. Right. Um, Cause I, I'm, I'm, it's such a fine balance between victim blaming and victim promoting. And what I mean by victim promoting is perpetuating a lifestyle of being a victim because you don't recognize where your you abdicated your personal power and that made you vulnerable to being yep. victimized. Does that make sense? Yep. Like we live in a culture today where if you say, if you're even saying that, I'm getting nervous because I'm like somebody and I'm like not advocating for the victim or whatever. But, um, so what happens then is we abdicate 
choice, sexuality, emotion. Um, what was the other one I said? <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm in the present right now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to with you. I'm... But we, uh, we abdicate those things. It's all right. We abdicate those things. Okay. And I'll go back and listen because I think I can make a really good teaching out of this <laughs> as I'm processing with you. When I go do Freeology Friday with Derek Day, we talk about growing in real time. Um, but we abdicate this, right? And then the real work is the process that you're describing where we integrate our emotions, yes. meaning we're allowed to express them, we're allowed to have yes. them, and process through them. I mean, if you're still throwing plates at trees, you know, over Pastor So-and-so, like you were when you were in the throes of therapy, then I would say it wasn't very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, in, instead of doing that work of reclaiming, we are drawn then into other belief systems or other spiritual pathways mm-hmm. that use a completely different framework, mm-hmm. completely different language, but accomplishes the same results exactly. of allowing us to not to stay in bondage. To, to abdicate those basic human things. And this is just another way that that happens. I have a soul contract and this is supposed to happen. And I, I mean, I know, I know people who have stayed in horrible marriages because God hates divorce. And yes. I know people that have stayed in horrible marriages because I have a soul contract with them yes. to take care of them because of some shitty thing I did or something we agreed up and then counsel before we. Yep went down the birth canal, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's different language, different system, different paradigm, same outcome. Yes. Same result. Yes. And that's why I think it's important to talk about it. Yeah. And I agree. I agree because I, oh, I just, I love my choice. Yeah. I love that. That for me, sitting out in the sunshine today is, is a wonderful thing and is, is spiritual and is amazing and is wonderful. And I don't have to chalk it up. I don't have to define it. I just don't have to define my life anymore by an authority, by a religion, by a belief system, by, you know, I just, I don't have to do that anymore. It's taken a long time to get there. Can't say that, you know, <laughs> um, it was an easy ride, but I don't, we have, we have such needs to define what is happening in the human experience instead of just live the human experience, like have the human experience. I mean, the, when, when I came out of all of that abuse and I, there's a lot to that story. One of the biggest questions, I was like, why did this happen to me? And I had generational curses said to me. Then in the New Age movement, it was a contract. Um, you know, then it was like a karma when I was, you know, looking into Hinduism. Then it was like, okay, so they had all these different frameworks to it. But what, you know, I just wanted somebody to not do that because what that did for me was it made it feel like I was powerless to what had happened to me then. Thank you. Ellen, I'm sorry to cut you off, but thank you for saying this because as someone who, I mean, my, I work with trauma victims. That's, that's what I do in my private practice. I mean, that's almost exclusively. And I've tried to help people, really well-meaning people in the new age community understand how a victim processes what they're teaching. And you're illustrating it perfectly. And again, I, I hate to interrupt, but it's like I want to just, you know, you're like you're like a great 
book, Ellen, and I just want to <laughs> highlight. I want to get my highlighter out. You know, like you read those books and you got you're highlighting like every. Oh, that's so good. You know, um, but please just just emphasize this and say this again. How that impacted you from that place of feeling powerless? Because I have tried, and all I've done is piss people off. I'm all I've done is alienate people when I try to discuss this. Um, so I really want people to be able to hear this from uh, your perspective. So please, I won't interrupt again. <laughs> you can even interrupt any time because you're, you're, you're phenomenal when you do that. Um, I think for me, it kept me powerless. If, if it was a generational curse that happened to me, let's say, um, all the sexual violence and the things I went through, and this was a generational curse, well, then I guess there was nothing I could do about it. Like, what it did was it created apathy in me. Well, this was some curse. Now, there was the whole breaking of the curse and all that stuff we were taught. But still, it meant that I came into this body, and this was already set in motion. Mm. And, oh, well, shit, that, that's awful. That's terrible. So I would... I went powerless, right? You you move into that place where it's like, okay, I I guess I can't solve it because it's a generational curse. And then you're thinking how many generations back it was and who was it? You know, I was adopted. I don't know, you know, all of my history. So I'm like, so then, you know, your imagination's going and, and you create fantasies all around, you know, this generational curse and it, and it just keeps you stuck in this moment. So then when you break this generational curse, then I said to myself, well, then why are other things happening, right? Because this generational curse seemed to follow me continually. Anything that was happening to me was a generational curse. This was your birth mother. And then in the New Age movement, it was like, well, you know, this is part of, like, you know, the the contract you created with this whole thing. So then, then it just only created self-hatred because I'm like, why did I create this for myself? Why would I push my body? Once I, once I loved myself, Aaron, once I came to the place that my body is, is beautiful and lovely and I am lovely, I had to like think that, oh my God, I put myself, I put my physical body, I put my emotional body, I put my spiritual self through this hell and the self-hatred that I had to, 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 to grapple with over that whole thing. So not only was it like the generational curse of anger towards everybody that had done this to me, now it's me who had put myself through this. It was the same blame. Yeah. It was the same thing. It all came back on Ellen, everything. Yeah. And it yeah. kept the victim going. It kept me in this place of powerlessness because I couldn't couldn't overcome it. Then the karmic thing, okay, then it was like, well, this is your, like, karmic destiny. You're, you're like, reincarnating in this loop right now and you need to get out of this loop and I'm thinking to myself oh my god the um, plethora of reasons for why I went through sexual abuse only caused me to bypass it the real feelings of it made me powerless to these things that were happening to me that I seemingly couldn't control and happened long before I got here and three the self-hatred that was birthed within my own self for putting myself in there or the hatred I had for other people. So then it kept me in the blame for, you know, hating everybody else around me. It was everybody else's fault. So there was like, I, I guess I would say with this, this Aaron, and I, I mean, you know, I know you always sometimes explain things really well. And I'm kind of like, Wah! you know, when it comes out. Oh, yeah, you're doing great. The, the bypassing, oh, man, I, oh, All it did was it caused me to not feel the pain. 
of what had happened to me because I had some definitive reason why it happened mm-hmm. other than maybe it just happened. Now I'm there now. I'm, I'm kind of in that little frame right now that, you know, life, it, 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 things have happened in my life. Not good, you know, but I'm not having to define it anymore. I'm not, I, I can sit with it. I can sit with things as they happen now. And cause I'm, I'm, there's, there's a level of emotional intelligence in me now that I didn't have. Religion kept me out of emotional intelligence, engaging with my emotion. The, the new age did the exact yeah. Same thing. The, these channeled works of like, you know, oh God, I remember somebody, oh God, somebody wanted to keep me in this flow of the law of one and, you know, the, the miracles. What's that one? The, um, Course in Miracles. The Course in Miracles. Okay. I've read both. I read the law of one and I read the Course in Miracles. And then there was one by Seth mm-hmm. and it felt like the exact yeah. same thing. And it did nothing for me. It caused me to put blame on other people, put blame on myself. I wasn't working hard enough to overcome the curses, the contracts, yada, 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 yada. And, you know, honestly, I had bur- I burned myself out with all of the New Age shit. Like, I, I left yeah. it. I left it. And the, and the reason I left it, and I'm not saying, and this is not to hurt anybody, um, but the reason for me I left it, was because it took away my power and it made me trust in these Pleiadians and trust in all these other things. And, you know, I was just giving myself away to, to all these channeled works from, you know, who knows who. And then if you look at the history, don't even get me started. You start diving into the history of some of this channeled stuff. You start to realize, Oh my God, like that's not what it was all. These people didn't even believe it. Some of them. Yeah. 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 We're selling this line. We're selling the, you know, I was exploited. I was exploited with generational curses, and I continued the exploitation of the contract. It just kept exploiting me. That's all it yeah. did. So, I, I, yeah, I'm, we're in the same veins of our thoughts on, on that stuff. How's your time? Is your time okay? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. I don't have anywhere to be. Because I would like to come back around and talk about, and I'm seeing a few things in the comments, and for people out there commenting, for whatever reason, I can't see who is commenting. Just for me, it says Facebook user. It doesn't say who it yeah, is. Yeah, that's what says. On YouTube, and I do because I've been checking my phone, and there are comments in Facebook that I'm not seeing um, come up in the chat. So um, please keep that in mind as we're responding. But I want to talk about, like, there's there's balance. For me, there's balance to things. Yes. And so for some people, for some people, like you're talking about how these meanings created for you a sense of powerlessness and having known you for a while and you've shared some things with me, um, where you've had an amazing personal empowerment that has been fueled by meaning mm. that has been fueled by um, uh, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to take away. I'm, it's not my place to speak about that. And I'm not going to ask you about that. Um, but the flip side of this could be, man, if I take away these meanings, because for some people it does help them make sense out of evil. It does help them make sense out of what yes. happened. But also if I just say, okay, I'm just here. It's like if I take all the, um, 
how how am I wanting to say this, Ellen? It's like some people need that meaning, and I'm one of these people. I have to find meaning outside of myself or transcendent to myself, not in a way that I give my autonomy or empowerment. I'm not saying that at all, but it's almost too scary to live without or but do it's I hard live without to, meaning do I do I live without in, meaning no 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 I'm not I'm not, I'm not asking you that question directly I'm saying let's talk about this other side of it where yeah. um because I guess like this this is why atheism for me there's lots of reasons I can't embrace atheism but one of them is very practical for me it's completely meaningless existence to me then it just to me, depressed. Like, I'd almost rather believe the old way that there is this judgmental God as long as I'm on his good side than there is no oversight, there is no direction. We're all just, you know, moving around on a planet going however many thousands of miles per hour and nobody's in the driver's seat. <laughs> well, right. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but, uh, but do you get what I'm saying? Like, like we, we gravitate to religion. People gravitate to religion because it gives them a sense of meaning. It gives them a sense of comfort right. yeah. uh, and yeah. stuff like that. And so I think talking about the other side of that, talking about the destructive side of meaning, but then talking also about the enhancing or resourceful side of meaning would be important to the discussion. So that's how I'm trying to frame it rather than okay. as a direct question to you about your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, I have to, I can only speak on my own, from my own reference point. Um, sure. But for me, I know you weren't asking me this question, but for me, I have more meaning than I have ever had in my life. Um, yeah, feel free to answer it directly. I, I just, however you want to answer yeah, yeah. it, cool. Um, I think I saw one of the comments that, that said something about, um, you know, I, I, let me see if I can find it because I don't want to say something that is, yeah. Um, I want so deeply to believe there is more meaning to us being here than simply to have a human experience. And mm-hmm. for me, that's the meaning. If, if we're going to, if we're going to, to do anything for me, it's it's the embracing of my humanity, because because for me that is where everything else is flowing from. I was disconnected from my humanity in religion. I was disconnected from my humanity in the New Age movement. I was disconnected from my humanity in all these other pathways. So for me, it's been a returning to my humanity, and that returning to my humanity is my meaning. I guess if you wanted to do that is, is the most powerful experiences I've ever had is loving my humanity, embracing my humanity, being in that place. And from that, there's incredible meaning that comes to me, but it's mm-hmm. not chalked up into even like spiritual terms. I'm, I, it's not chalked up into that anymore. It's like I go out and I stand next to a tree. And I can just feel the energy of the tree and the vibe of the tree. I can feel it on my skin. I can feel it in my mind. I can feel it in my, and it's just, it's, it's wonderful. And that's fantastic. And then there's other times I can feel sad at, at the loss of, um, something. And that has incredible meaning to me, like, especially if it, you know, like if it, it, it 
really meant something to me and I've lost it, let's say, um, or it's a person that I'm grieving over or whatever it may be. It's the richness of that grief. It's, it's the richness of the missing of that person. I don't need to have the meaning behind that person or why something happened to them. I need to just experience the separation within that feeling I feel. And so I, I think, so for me, I guess maybe, because um, I'm a very spiritual person myself, I, I do believe in a higher power. I do believe in the universe. I believe that there's, you know, miracles. I see strange supernatural things happen around me a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't make it, it doesn't trump my humanness. How do mm. I just, um, I don't make an identity, I don't make an identity statement out of my supernatural experience like I used to. I don't make an identity statement out of the tree if I interact with it or I see a miracle in front of me or I, I'm, I'm hearing, uh, you know, like I had these strange encounters recently with an owl, with these two owls. Okay, like it was really supernatural. It was absolutely amazing. But I don't have to explain that. I just have to receive it and be in it Mm -hmm. and be like, well, what's that? That's cool. That's really wild. And I think and maybe maybe I won't be like this five years from now. Maybe I'll be like, I need to know what that owl was saying and what, what they were meaning to me or anything. But for me, it's just I'm no longer attaching my identity and my self work to to being spiritual, to having a spirituality. Um, I feel like that was really honed in on me for, for decades, you know, over 35 years of finding my identity in Christ, finding my identity in the supernatural, finding my identity in a greater power, a bigger power, something beyond me. But I just feel like we're always things are going to be beyond me, beyond me. Because right when we get to one point, then there's another <laughs> We go beyond that. You know, there's always more to explore. And I, I think for me, it's all about the exploration process. It's just rather than rather than defining it, um, rather than having some definitive meaning, it's, it's, it's just the process. It's a beautiful process, mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Or is upset, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I- the way I try to look at it, you know, because again, in my practice, I work with all kinds of people with all kinds of different beliefs and it, it's mm-hmm. unethical as a licensed professional to, um, violate someone's values or culture or religious integrity, right? right. So, but I, but I do get a lot of people where because of my experience when I'm working with them, I can see Oh, there's definitely some religious trauma here. <laughs> and, uh, so the way I will frame this for clients, and I think this is a good way to think about it, or a way that's helped me, when we're talking about things like religion or spirituality or Course in Miracles or Law of One or, you know, some of these other channeled works, which it is interesting if people would study the history of that, um, uh, the origins of some of that and the events, the context, the story around some of those works, um, it might change how they think and feel about it. But uh, I, I, it's the question of, is this resourceful for you right now? Is this empowering you? Is this a resource for you that is 
empowering you? <laughs> or is mm-hmm. this a mechanism that you've found yourself in that is continuing this cycle of disempowerment? Um, in other words, is this working for you in a way that's healthy and helping you? Or is this working against you having being integrated? I think that's really the key is being integrated. Mm-hmm. Because we all give meanings. We, you, you can't not give meaning to something. We are meaning-making right. machines, right? And we make our decisions off of the meaning that we give to something more than we do the actual experience itself. So, you know, um, we we do it all the time in conversations. Mm-hmm. So people can hear something or they can read something. Like, I'm with you. Like, I read A Course in Miracles and read the raw material of, from the law of one and it, it did not, it did nothing for me. If anything, yeah. it, 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 it's like, ugh, I don't, I don't like this. This doesn't mm. feel good for me. Um, other people, you know, they, they love it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The problem is, is when we take these meanings and we try to say one way is right and the other way is uh, absolutely yes. wrong. <laughs> As yeah. though that exists inherently within the universe. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's why we become so zealous to try to convert people, whether it's, you know, I've, religion was toxic. Now I'm an atheist. So now I want to convert people to atheism because they'll see how much freedom there is over here. Or now I want to convert people to, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. miracle. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. And so I guess that's, that's kind of my two cents in, in this situation is we all give meaning to situations, but we're mostly unconscious of the meanings that we give to situations, or we're mostly unconscious of why we're giving those particular mm-hmm. meanings to those situations. Unless you've done a lot of work like you're talking about, Ellen, or uh, someone's, you know, just, you can do this with a close friend, you know, somebody that's going to hold space for you. You can do this with a romantic partner if they're safe for you and they hold space for you where you unpack this stuff, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I guess, so, so, and, and I'm addressing a few of the comments without pointing them out specifically. Um, I think it's worthwhile to say in these other spiritual paradigms, there are some of the same landmines that were in the Christian spiritual paradigm. And here's what I see that where there are the same landmines, like what we were talking about. There's predestination, generational curse, or mm-hmm. contract, or karma. It all gets you to the same place. It's just different meanings, right? And here's how those meanings can be disempowering. Because we have this tendency to think one size fits all. And this is, again, I want to, I want to, I don't know why I just, I gave up because Mm -hmm. I know from working with people that have had a lot of trauma, that have had a lot of complex trauma, that have been sexually abused specifically, telling them that they chose this before the foundation of the world (laughs) or, or before they came down the birth canal does not in any way have a positive impact or effect, and it has a very, very destructive effect. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. for someone else, that belief might somehow help them explain evil and be 
meaningful and powerful for them. But in our zeal to say this is how it really is, this is how reality works, this is the truth, this is the law of whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I had somebody tell me that just recently something about A Course in Miracles and I just made the, an offhanded remark that I'd read it years ago and it just it really didn't resonate for me. And they said, oh, well, it's a requirement. And I'm like, what, what? <laughs> like, what? I, it's, I've a never heard that. It's, it's a required course. It's a required course. And I'm like, uh, uh, I'm not getting a How drink. does that work? Like, what is, how does that work, right? So I, I yeah. didn't hear how, how does that work? Well, it's a requirement. God requires it. If you don't get it in this life, you'll be presented with it again in the next life and the next life and the next life until you get it. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's, again, the opposite of choice and personal empowerment. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I better go sit under, you know, Marianne Williamson and, or, you know, watch Aaron Abke's videos on A Course in Miracles or something so that I get it because I don't want to have to go through it again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Get it out of the way. <laughs> and I think it's that kind of, I think that's, yes. For, if I speak for myself, that's where it just rubs the cats for the long way for me. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. It's that again, it, we have, it's the blanket statements. I mean, I have to say, cause I saw a comment that somebody put up and I think sometimes things can, like you're saying, help people at the time. But I began to discover with my own journey, the more I began looking at myself and really started gaining self-autonomy, it was like the discerners went on in certain areas. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's the exact same thing I was taught under Christianity. But now it's um, the law of one or, you know, and and I know there were people who said to me, well, Ellen, that should confirm it for you then. It's just, it's different language that people are using, but it should confirm that there is this certain paradigm and it's just, you know, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go there. I, I actually, I mean, in my own life, I was, I was so, how do I describe it? So belittled with my discernment and so riddled with all this mixture in there. That I now it's like it's very it can, some things can be very clear to me now when I look at them, but it was like a fear mongering sort of thing. Like, look, Ellen, this all works together. Can't you see it all works together? And it was like it was like they were trying to sell me this piece, and I I just thought I I I can't do this. I need to be human. I need to, I, I, my self autonomy. I think is yeah. is in some ways, really way out there now because it's just kind of after all the years of of being so trapped, it's kind of like the idea of giving my free will over to somebody else or to give certain things over to, no. Yeah, from my perspective, it's very healthy. From my perspective, again, I'm going to say this again, that is the task. That is the task. And so it's not just that it's the same thing with the same language. Mm. Or it's not just that it's the same thing with different language. Correct. It's that it results in the same outcomes. I know. Emphasize that again. Like yeah. your beliefs have consequences. You know. I mean, like we used to say. You know, your creeds precede your deeds. Yes. <laughs> or your yes. outcomes. 
Um, and so, yeah, like it's not just that it's the same. I can hear how someone said, well, that should just confirm it, you know, that it's a universal truth. It's, it's, it's the way things are. No, you don't understand. The things that I'm pointing out <laughs> led to very toxic, poisonous outcomes mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically, all the way around. And yeah. that had yeah. to be unpacked. And so it's like going from one abusive partner to another abusive partner. It's like trying to convince, I don't know, I'm sure in your coaching practice and stuff that you've worked with uh, people uh, who have been victims of intimate abuse or intimate violence. Oh, yes. Yes. They, just, they, they either keep going back to the person. I think I think the literature says that they'll leave something like 11 times before they actually finally leave a toxic relationship and then so many will just fall right back into another toxic relationship um so it's different person same type of abuse same type of trauma same pattern and this is why i was saying we can almost enable people to be victims if we don't point out (laughs) this is how a victim thinks this is how a victim operates this is This is what it means to be a victim, to give up your choice, to give up your uh, opinion, to think so lowly of yourself mm-hmm. that you value another's opinion so much more than your own that you can't stand in your own integrity and in your own strength. That's a problem. And a lot of these systems will come at you trying to get you to give that up in various different ways. Mm-hmm. So that would be my response. Well, the ego teachings. I mean, we could go, you know, bazillion ways with this. I, a super inflated ego. An inflated yeah. ego is one thing, but the ego is not a bad thing. The ego, it's, it's about integration. Everything does come down to integration. This cutting off is, is separation theology, really. Just cut off well, this thing and remove it from you. It's, yeah. it's separation. We're do, we're still sticking to separation theology here. But I mean, the, the idea of integration, Oh my gosh, when I, when I, when I started to, to learn that I could integrate the ego, I didn't need to cut the thing off, I didn't need to get rid of it, you know, cause they, they started mixing it with oneness, and I mean, this whole oneness thing that's going around is, can get really tricky. Yeah, it because, can. You know, it just can, and I remember I was sitting in a meditation, and I said, what's this whole thing with oneness? Like I, I was just asking the question, and I was taken into this realm, and I was taken into this sea, where I saw consciousness, okay, consciousness was flowing and everybody was in, in there, but everybody was individualized. They were they were individual with themselves. You know, they had their self autonomy. Like that's what it spoke to me. It was like, oh, okay, so we we're, we're in the sea of consciousness, but you're still Aaron and right. I'm still Ellen, right? And you're still swimming whatever you're swimming, and I'm still swimming whatever I'm swimming. Right. But I didn't lose me in it. Right. I didn't lose myself in the oneness. I didn't, you know, I wasn't like, oh, oh, I could go on and on. But I guess where I'm landing today, honestly, Aaron, where I'm landing is I'm a spiritual person. We're all spiritual, I believe. I believe every one of us is spiritual. Yeah, I do. Um, and that shows itself in my humanity. My humanity doesn't take away from my spirituality. It It is my spirituality. It is my spiritual path. My tears are my spiritual path. My anger is my spiritual path when I get angry. Um, all of that is my spiritual path, but it's showing itself through my humanity. 
And, um, yes, that's where I'm landing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I don't know if that makes sense. That's, that's cool. I think that's a great place to land. And, Ellen, thank you. Um, you just have a way of articulating things um, that I feel very passionate about um, in a way that helps bring me clarity on some of these things. So again, like I, like Derek and I say on Friday nights, you know, growing in real time, this has been a really enriching conversation for me. And every time we talk, you know, um, uh, or share on topics, it just, I mean, always enriched. I always feel more healed, uh, at the end than I did at the beginning. Uh, I feel wiser at the end than I did at the beginning. (laughs) Um, so thank you for coming on and we'll have to do this again. I'm, I'm sure people, I, I would love to do it again. Um, but let people know how they can get in touch with you. You do some life coaching, you have a YouTube channel. So talk about, talk about that for a minute. Okay. So, um, well, my YouTube channel is called advocate of soul. Mm, love that. My business is called advocate of soul. <laughs> All right. My website is advocate of You can see how simple this is going. Um, and that's just been kind of like a neat evolution that's come from all of this. It's, it's advocating for the soul of a, of their, of a person that they learn how to advocate for themselves, you know, through the healing. And so, yeah, I do one-to-one release coaching, I call it. Um, I work with the LGBTQ plus, I do support there and I also help uh, people come out of religious trauma. And so if you think that this is, you know, something you'd like to do, just, you know, shoot me a, Shoot me a, a message or go to my YouTube channel. My email's on there. Or you can find me also on Instagram at Advocate of Soul. That's a new page that's come up, but you can find me on there, too. Awesome. All right, Ellen, any final words? Anything you want to say before we land the plane? Oh, yes, actually. Yes, okay. there is. Hey, feel free. Take as much time as you want. Well, our humanness is a beautiful thing. Our emotions are a beautiful thing. Feeling, living, breathing is a beautiful thing and it's sacred. And I just, I just want to tell everybody that your humanity is sacred and, and it is a sacred journey. It's a sacred unpacking, but you can love yourself. You can overcome situations of abuse. You can, um, turn the corner. For me, it was a turning the corner. You can turn the corner. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, if you want to use that term. Um, yeah, you, the universe is for you. Mm. You're for you. And, yeah, so you're sacred. I guess that's what I want to end on, is that yeah, you're sacred. No. Love those words. Okay, everybody, thanks for watching. Um and again, Ellen, thanks for your time and for this conversation. And I really would love to follow it up uh, in the future. So Perfect. really appreciate Thank you. you. All right. And for everybody else, I will see you next week. I Okay. So just talking to my group here for a second, I wanted to do Monday night stuff. And I came across a class that I have to take. Uh, for the next like three or four months and it's on Monday nights. So I won't be able to do that on Monday night anymore. I'm still going to try and find in my schedule, uh, 
a time to carve out to just do more live videos and have more content on the New Day Facebook uh, group, which is in my bio if you're watching on my YouTube channel. And, of course, you know, hit like and subscribe and all that stuff to help the algorithms. So, anyway, thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks, Ellen. And I will... Okay.